there are approximately five times more prophecies about the second coming of Christ, the coming that we are all looking forward to. And so we're going to unpack these truths in these next couple of weeks. But today we're going to, again, as I said, we're going to be laying down a foundation. And uh, next week we're going to look at what it is um, after Jesus' return, according to scriptures. You know, where do we go as Christians? What's heaven like? Um, are we judged versus those who are not, or excuse me, how are we judged versus those who are not Christians? And we'll take a look at heaven, what eternity will look like for us as the church. And then in the last week, we're going to kind of take a survey, a quick survey of the book of Revelation. You know, really, it only takes not very long to read the book of Revelation. I, I want to throw that out there before we really dig in a little bit deeper here this morning. You could probably read the book of Revelation in 45 minutes tops, to be honest. And, and, and we understand that there, there, we'll, we'll probably hit that on that third week. But there's a, there's a passage of scripture that says, those who read this book are blessed. So I, and I'm going to say this on purpose as, as a show of hands. Who wants to live a blessed life? You know what you need to do. All right. But today we're going to start in Thessalonians, and, and let me give you a little context here before, as we get into this study. The first century Christians were extremely convinced that Jesus was returning. Um, they knew he was coming back at any moment. Like, in their mind, it could be like tomorrow or Tuesday, something like that. It could be like, you know, a Monday night, so to speak. And they were panicky, all right, because... Their relatives and their loved ones who had already died were believers. And so they had these questions wondering in their minds as to say, well, what are they going to miss out on? So Paul, we understand Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. A great man of God. He was a great preacher. He was a great pastor. He was a church planner. And we see that all throughout. But he writes a letter to one of his churches. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 he explains what is to happen to those. And so let's take a look at that. And we're going to break this down this morning, scripture by scripture. But we'll start at verse 13. If you have your notes, you can see, I think it's in the bulletin. It'll be up here. But follow along if you can. But verse 13 says, Brothers, we do not want you to become ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve the rest of, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe, now right there, we believe. This is the essence of Christianity right here. We believe that Jesus died, that he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not proceed, in other words, you will not go before, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, I praise God, right, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, 
encourage each other with these words. And that's what I want to do today, right? I want to encourage us. And we're going to look at three reasons as to why we as Christians need to have hope and understanding and that, that why we have hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if you have your notes, write these things down. They're going to come right at you right now. Number one is this, the return. This is a truth that we understand, that what? Christ is coming again. In fact, Jesus himself talked about it in John 14 and 3, where Jesus says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where what? I am. Jesus clearly indicates right here about this truth. He says simply this, I will return. In other words, I'm coming back. In the early church, they were excited about the return of Christ. They were excited about the return of Jesus. They actually, in fact, if you read throughout the scriptures, you can understand they actually had a greeting that went along with that. Their greeting when they would come upon each other and when they would see each other, they would grab, you know, you know how we do, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How, how's life going, right? That, that's how we do it. Hey, what's up? You know, what's going on? You know, how's the kids? You know, this, that, and another, right? We have these certain greetings. They were so sold out on the second coming of Christ. You need to understand their mind was focused solely, the early church, because of why? The deep relationship that was there. Why? The conviction that was there. Why? The relationship that was built up. They were so convinced of the second coming of Christ that when they greeted each other, it wasn't as we greet each other. They said this one word, Maranatha. Meaning this, Jesus is coming back again. Why did they do that? Because they took literally that last verse so seriously where it says what? Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Understanding as bad as life can get, as bad as any report you can ever have, as horrible as the finances can be, as lonely as you might be relationally, we can take courage in knowing this, that one day, being a believer in Christ, your eventual eternity will be in heaven. Amen. We understand Paul clearly says it this way. Your existence here on earth is not but what? A mere vapor. Here and gone. But your eternal existence never ends. So they have it right. They're excited about what? Jesus is coming. Our Lord is coming. Our Lord is returning. In fact, um, in 2 Timothy 4 and 8, which I don't have that scripture, but I'm just going to throw this out there. There was a longing for their Lord's returning because of this. Those who long for the returning of Jesus, the scripture clearly tells us, and take a look at it on your time. Write it down. I'll give it to you again. It's, uh, I just lost my mind. 2 Timothy 4 and 8. But there's a crown in heaven for those who are anticipating, eagerly waiting the return of Jesus. So those of you who, of us that, that can't wait for him to come back, we can understand this, that there is a reward of a crown for those who long for his returning. The problem, though, is most of us probably, 
won't get that crown. Because we are in so in love with this world, that we are so in love with everything that's happening around us, that we don't long for the return of Christ. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be open here to you for a minute. I've heard some of you say it. I've even probably said it myself. And we've said things like this. I know Jesus is coming, but, you know, I got something happening down the road, and I can't wait for that. I want to experience that. Then, Jesus, you can come back anytime you want. We've said it jokingly, or you've said it seriously. We are so far off the early church on that statement, it's not funny. Our longing needs to be Jesus is coming back. Maranatha, he's coming back. I, we need to encourage each other in this, especially when we are in our most desperate hours. I loved it when we looked at, at, at uh, Paul, when, when he said this, that he had a friend, Onesiphorus. You remember him? I got his name right without even having to read it now, all right? I'm telling you. Onesiphorus, what did he say? That his friend blessed him. And what? He did something very important. Encouraged him. All right. So, in fact, let's take a look here. Paul says it this way. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. He says, we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, and this is his return, those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, and, and, and I, I joke about this, but that's not talking about you falling asleep during the church service. You know what I mean? This is, this is kind of the poetic way of saying that the dead, that's what it means. Those who have what? Died. And who were Christians. That we, understand, we don't technically die as a Christ follower. Scripture merely tells us that we are what? Falling asleep. In fact, in the Greek, the word is used 14 times in the Bible. And in John 11, we see it where uh, Lazarus, who had what? Fallen asleep. And then what did Jesus do? He raised him up. What did he do? He woke him up. But let's go on to verse 16 in our scripture that we're reading this morning. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the, trumpet, with the trumpet call of what? God. So let's stop there for a minute because this is, this is extremely important. This is great. So we understand that the Lord himself is going to come down. Remember, God spoke and he created the world, did he not? We see that there's times when God would what? Give a gentle whisper. We understand that, but when Jesus returns... It's not going to be just a spoken voice. It's not going to be just a quiet whisper. But we see several things here happen. One is that there's a loud command that's going to come with it. And the second, we understand that what? It's actually Jesus coming in a form. And it goes on to say in verse 16, And the dead in Christ will rise first. And who are the dead? Paul was talking to the Thessalonians believer and he said, look, hey, your loved ones who were Christians and died, they are going to rise first. I think of my brother and my sister instantly on that. 
All of you, you've got family, you've got friendships that have gone on before you. They're going to go before you are. That's just wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But think about that for a moment. That is encouraging for us as followers of Christ. Now, this is where some people get confused. And I'm going to kind of go a little slow here on this. But it appears to be clear that there are actually two in this moment, two resurrections. There's the first resurrection, then there's the second. The first resurrection is for those who are Christians who will be raised from the dead. But then the second resurrection is for those who are not Christians. And it's known as the resurrection of the dead and that they will be judged differently. And we're going to look at that more so next week. But for the Christians, those who are believers in Christ, we can understand that they will be judged at the Bema seat. And they will be judged for their works for their relationships with Jesus, and more importantly, they will be rewarded for that. But the non-Christians will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And of course, that is definitely what we as followers of Christ do not want to be a part of. Now, it's my opinion that as Christians and only non-Christians will be there for that. Because why? Our names... As Christ's followers, we've written where? In the Lamb's book of life. And those who are not in that book, we understand through Scripture, will be punished eternally and separated from God and destined for hell. So we're talking about the first resurrection, and those are the Christians. Scripture in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. If you're dead, this is the one you want to be in. Blessed and holy. You want to be a part of the first resurrection. The second death, what? Has no power over them. What does that mean? The second death, the second resurrection, has no power over the ones. It has nothing to do with you or with those who have passed before us as followers of Christ. Now, you can have the first resurrection, then the second death has no power over us. And understand, I want to give this quote to you, this. And someone has said this, you can be born once and die twice. Or you can be born twice and die once. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what is that really? I mean, that can get confusing. All right. How is that broken down? Well, if you're born one time, you will die twice. You will die a physical death. And then you will stand before God and you will die a death eternally. That will be your second death. The good news, though, is that us being born twice, we will only die once. What does that mean? Well, you'll have your physical birth. And then you will have the birth that I had on September the 6th, 1997. The day that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. The day that changed my life forever. The day that it changed my eternal existence from that moment forward. Can you remember that day in your life? Can you remember that moment 
Can you remember that time where it became more real to you? Where that relationship became more, more structured? Where that first time you giving your heart saying, Jesus, come into my life, save my soul. Help me to live a life that is eternally for you. Forgive me of my wrongdoings. Forgive me my sin, Lord. Lord, I, 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 I acknowledge what you did for me on that cross. I acknowledge the beating you took. I acknowledge the, the blood that was poured out for me. I know this isn't exactly the most inspirational, encouraging message this morning that you're normally used to. But this is the truth. We need to understand. Get the blinders off of our eyes. There is coming a moment. There will be a line drawn in the sand. Which side will you be on? Where will your eternal existence be? Will it be with the Father? I certainly hope so. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he said that a person can be born again. You can be born a second time. So what do we have? We have the return of Christ. We understand that Christ is coming. The second thing is this. We have the rapture. Living Christians are what? Taken away. What is the rapture? The rapture is when we are taken away. In verse, let's look at verse 17. Scripture says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be, what are we going to be? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So after the dead in Christ rise first, if that happens in our lifetime, and you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, those of us who are still alive will be what? Caught up. Yes, amen. This word caught up comes from the Greek and is this word here, harpazo. And it means to be seized or to be snatched or to be rescued. There are generally four different beliefs when it comes to the rapture. People have debated this back and forth. They still debate it to this day. And here they are. Three of them you're definitely going to understand. One is pre-tribulation. The second one is the mid-tribulation. The third one is the post-tribulation. And the fourth one is a pan-tribulation. And you'll, you'll figure that one out in a minute, though. Understand what the tribulation period is. The tribulation period, very briefly, here's a seven-year period that's going to take place. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period is going to be much, many good things going on, or so-called. So, so and then the last three and a half years is when everything changes and things go really bad. Now, the preacher would be for those who believe that Christians are rescued before that seven, seven years tribulation period begins, before things get bad. Then you have, there's the mid-trip. This is the people who believe that Christians will go through that first three and a half years. And before things get really crazy or really bad, then the rapture will take place where the church is called up. It's the middle of the tribulation. Then there's the post-trip. That is for those who believe that they are rescued after that seven-year period. In other words, you go through the entire tribulation period. And then there's this one here called the pantrib, and that's for people who really just have no idea, and they're just throwing up their hands going, well, it'll just figure itself out, all right? It'll all pan out at the end. Get it? The pantrib. 
I'm going to give you my belief. And this is my belief. And that is this. I believe pre-trip. And the reason because is the verse that God says in his goodness or the harpazo, which means what? He's snatching us out. He's taking us away. He's what? Rescuing you. Rescuing you. Rescuing, rescuing us. All right. Jesus describes Matthew 24, 39. Um, and I wanted you to pay careful attention to this because this is how Jesus says it's going to happen. This is how it would be at the second coming of the Son of Man. In other words, now get ready for this. This is extremely important. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. And here we go. Life application. Verse 44. So you also must be what? Ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Listen, if we are, if you are, and we are believers in Jesus, this is serious. Understanding that Jesus is returning, that what that trumpet one day is going to sound. And we as humanity, we must be ready. It could happen at any time and at any moment. Watch this two people sitting at a computer typing away. One is taken, one is left. It could be that there's a family dinner going on. Three could be taken, three could be left. It literally could mean that you could be sitting here just as you are in church. One taken, one left. The thought that we don't enjoy because the reality is that so many who we call family and friends, loved ones, potentially, will be left. So what is our responsibility? To be ready. It's our responsibility to be prepared. It's our responsibility to be doing what? To be doing the work of the Lord, to be what? completely sold out. Not having a half-hearted relationship. Not living the lukewarm of Christianity. But understanding as the first church did or the early church did. Maranatha, our Lord is coming back again. Not being so comfortable within the environments that we live in to think that we have time. One will be taken. One will be left. I remember as a kid. And uh, if, if I would, you know get home from school early and mom and dad weren't home and you know in Baltimore I used to walk home from school like nine years old walking home through the it's crazy I, I me and Pastor Thorne uh, a couple years ago we went he says Kevin I want to see where, right around where you lived so I you know I told him where I lived and they took him up there and he's like there is no way there is no way and I looked at him I said look it looks a lot more worse now than it did when I was there but I remember growing up and nine years old coming and, and mom and dad, maybe they would be over at the neighbor's house or I would come home and nobody would be there. And I would get panicky like, oh my gosh, I have been left. I've been left behind. And, and, and I think I told you this before, I call my grandmother. If I could hear my grandma's voice, it was all good. And she'd pick up and I'd hang up. 
I got another day to spare, Lord. Woo. Oh, my goodness. But he says, behold, I come like a thief. Blessed he who is what? Stays awake. Goes on to say, keeps his clothes with him so that he may not what, go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now, to be honest, this is speaking metaphorically here, but do you recall the story of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? There's a special message there that you may have never called on to before, but you're going to catch it here this morning, I hope. If not, come and talk to me afterwards, and I'll try to explain it in a better way. But you understand that when, before his death, he was in the garden and he was praying. And he took a few disciples with him. And he said, what? You stay here. I'm going to go over here and pray. And we understand that what, how many times did he, have to, did he return? Three times. And when he returned, what did he see? He saw them falling asleep. And each time, frustration, irritation, was exp- he, was, he was showing that. Jesus left us to go where? To prepare a place. And when he's ready, we understand that what is he doing? Coming back for us. I don't want Jesus coming back and seeing a church that has fallen asleep. I don't want him coming back and you have fallen asleep spiritually to the point where the relationship with him is no longer. That you're not yearning. The Bible says those who are wanting and expecting and eagerly anticipating the return of Christ, what is there for you? A crown, a reward. Wake up! Wake up for what your Savior has done. Wake up for what you have eternally. This life is mere a what? Vapor. Don't allow your environments to define who you are. Don't allow your problems to say who you are. Don't allow those who you surround yourself to determine what your reputation will be. Understanding that your relationship with Christ is the only defining moment that is important in your existence. So we understand that Jesus is why he's coming back. We understand that there's a rapture. And this last thing here, the reunion. Christians will be with what? God forever. What's going to happen at that reunion? The Bible teaches us that we will be with God forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17-18 says that after that, we who are still alive and are left will be what? Caught up together with them. Who is them? Those who went before us. Can you picture them in your mind right now? Can, can you picture them who have gone on, those family, those friendships? I have people that instantly come to my mind. My brother, this, uh, this past Monday, was 25 years since he passed. I picture my sister. I picture this kid in my youth group named Carlos. 
in West Virginia. I think I may have told some of you this story. He had a nickname. It was Poop. I picture him because the last thing that I ever saw of that young man was his feet at the end of a stretcher in an ambulance. And I think to myself, I'm going to get to see these people again. And there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. Can you imagine that? Face to face. But more importantly, what face to face with God. That scripture goes on to say, and so we will be what? With the Lord forever. I want that to sink in. When this happens, how long will we be with the Lord? Forever. Mm. No more pain, no more sin. The heartache and the brokenness, gone. No more disease, sickness, no, watch this, no more poverty, no more starving children. No more broken relationships, marriages, no more cancer. You will be what? With God, with the Lord forever. Watch this, what does it say? Maranatha. Our Lord is coming back. So, what should we do in these end times? We should encourage each other with those words. That he's coming back. I heard a uh, pastor tell a story, and I want to tell this story as I'm closing. And uh, he was on a mission trip years ago to Ecuador with his family, and uh, he was with the leader of Compassion International at the time, which was in the name of West Stafford, and they were in one of these most broken, impoverished places that they had ever or that rather he had ever seen. They were at this house with a single mom who had seven children. And he goes on to say that the house was probably the size of what we would consider a master bedroom closet. It wasn't big in our terms. Where this home was located, water, the rainwater would rush through this lady's home from the village. As it was Moving on, it would pick up the trash, the urine and the feces and other stuff because her home was at the lowest point of the village, right beside what they considered as the dump. And it smelled horribly. And the whole time, the pastor went on to say that him and his family were fighting the urge to vomit, to be sick. And so they were in this house and they were obviously overwhelmed with emotion. And the pastor that was on this trip was a pastor and still is a pastor of what many would consider as a mega church doing great ministries all over. And the leader he was with, Wes, looked at him and said, would you minister to this lady? And the pastor went on to say, he was embarrassed to say that he just froze in that moment. He goes, I I didn't even know where to start. So there was an awkward moment of silence. And then all of a sudden, the other leader kind of stepped in and he grabbed this precious lady by the shoulders and said this, I know you love Jesus. And I want to remind you that he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. And one day you will be with him forever. 
there will be no more tears. Your children will never be hungry again. They will never be sick. You will never be worried about them. No man will ever beat you again. You will be comforted by the Lord. The pastor went on to say that this lady, she was just bawling her eyes out. His wife was bawling her eyes out. His kids were bawling her eyes out. Eventually, he just started crying himself. So they went in, they walked outside, and this pastor was extremely embarrassed. It's like, I, I didn't know what to say to her. Most of us would, we could understand that more than likely. And the leader of the group looked at him and said, don't worry. He said, where you minister, listen to this, where you minister, you don't have the opportunity that I do because where you minister, they don't know how bad this world is. And so in contrast, these people are longing for heaven. And the pastor goes on to say he will never forget what was said. And he said this, if the people in our world only knew how great heaven was, they wouldn't love this world so much and they too would long for this Lord to return forever. Verse 18 says this, therefore what? Encourage each others with these words. So what's the application? What do we do with a message like this? Well, if you're a Christian, you know, we, we still gotta pay the bills. We still got what, sick kids? We still got schedules that are hectic and busy. We have so many activities. So what do we do? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be what? Change. How fast is this gonna be? In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In other words, when he returns, our physical bodies are going to be transformed in the eternal bodies. Can we say amen to that? We're no longer going to be mortal, but we will live with him forever. Verse 54 goes on, then the saying that is written will come true. Huh. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us victory. Amen. Now, it's not through our own religious efforts. It's not through our own good works, not through us trying to be good, not even through us stop trying to do bad things. He gives us victory. He goes on to say, through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? It's all about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Always has, and it always will. That's never gonna change. Verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers, what do we do? We stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Serving, praising, 
worship him, give in his name, share his love, live with an intensity for Jesus Christ, live with an intensity to take every person you possibly can with you to this eternal place called heaven. Live with an intensity, understanding it doesn't matter who they are. God has given us a strict direction to take the gospel where? To all, everywhere. Not just where you feel comfortable. Not with just who you want to hear such a gospel given to but to give it to every single person, regardless, regardless of their race, regardless of, of, of whatever country they come from, regardless of their native tongue, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they smell like, regardless of how much money they have or how much they lack. We have a responsibility as the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. He's preparing something for us. And he doesn't want us to be caught, what? Asleep. Wake up. Wake up. He's returning. Maranatha, our Lord is coming back What would you do if you knew he was coming back when he was coming back? You'd worship him. You would live righteously. You'd share your faith. You'd be serious about it. Unfortunately, what we see within the church world today is a church that is full of lukewarm, apathetic, worldly, church-going people because we have forgotten this good news. Today you've been reminded. Jesus said it this way, behold, I come in an hour that expect not. What does that mean? It means repent. It means be ready. It means let's get as many people on this as we possibly can. For those who have called on his name, the time is now. Every week that goes by is a week closer to his coming. Why would we want to take our time in making the most important decision that you ever could possibly make in your life when there is such little time? This is what he did. Jesus came. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. But this is what he's yet to do. He's coming back. Your sins have been paid for. Watch this. Your death penalty is paid. I want you to stand with me this morning. We need to understand that we need to work for the Lord because we know that our labor for the Lord is what? It's not in vain. You can live a life that won't count in eternity or you can live a life in the Lord today and bring the greatest glory to Him. But do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you made that commitment? Have you made that decision? Yes, Lord, I want to live for you. Today, God, change me from this 
moment on. This isn't sometimes one of the most popular messages to give because a lot of people don't want to hear this. They want to live in the right now. Well, I get that. But more importantly, I live in the what my eternity is going to be like. What Jesus did for me, he died on that cross. He was beaten, bruised. His blood was shed for you. What are you going to do with that? Oh, I still got time. No, you don't. You don't know that. You don't have time. That young man, Carlos, that passed away, he was in church just like you are on a regular Sunday morning. 1.30, I get a hectic phone call from one of his friends that was with him. Pastor Kevin, you got to get here right now. It's Carlos. Now, there's no doubt in my mind this young man was saved. He loved Jesus. I met him when he was 12 years old. He gave his heart to the Lord. He died at 19. And through that, I have to say, him and a couple of his friends were some of the best ambassadors for Jesus Christ in their school. They were bringing kids to church left and right. And these kids' lives were being changed. I can't help but think when he went and he met the Lord, the rewards he received that day were Where are you at with Jesus? If you, were died to if you were to die today, what would happen with your existence? Would you go to heaven? Or simply this, would you go to hell? Every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna ask this question to you today. If you wanna commit your life to this Savior that we've talked about and that we're gonna to continue to talk about, you know that he's coming back. We've talked about that. The scriptures have clearly pointed it out. But if you want Jesus Christ in your life today, you want to say, Pastor, I want to give my life to him this morning. I want you to just slip up your hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand right there. I see those hands over there. I see that hand. I see that hand. More importantly, God sees that hand. God sees that heart. God sees that soul. Here's what I want us to do, church, as a church all together, enthusiastically, like it was your first time. For some of you, it is your first time. I want us to pray this prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, as the scripture says, that you have gone to a place to prepare for me. Today, Lord, I accept you as my Lord, my master, my king, and more importantly, my savior. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. From this day forward, help me to live a life that is pleasing in your eyes. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Can we give the Lord, amen. You know,
there's not much life application to that message other than what just happened. Lives were changed forever. So I'm believing as I stand here now that I see a room full of believers. You have been given a directive. Go. Wake up, church. Share this good news and make a difference in people's lives. You have been given a directive. Go into all this world, all this world, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity and time and moment to be in your house, to worship you, to serve you. And Lord, help us to leave here and go about your business and fulfilling that commission, sharing your message, greeting each other in Maranatha, knowing, Lord, that you are coming back. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love you. And as we leave this place, Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeeming. And Father, every gifting, giving, and tithing given to you today, may it be used to grow your kingdom and win people to you. In Jesus' name, and the church says, amen. We love you. Have a great day.